We have been looking forward to uh, this weekend and what we get to share with you this morning for a number of months now, and we're just so glad the snow came yesterday morning, and not this morning, but it is beautiful, isn't it? We have been presented with an opportunity as a church that is uh, really a remarkable opportunity that we want to share with you this morning. And so our service is going to look a little different than uh, our typical Sunday morning service. This is an opportunity to uh, minister to some of the most forsaken and forgotten and broken people in our society. This is a population of people that's made up of both men and women from ages 13 to 90. These individuals have inflicted incredible pain and suffering and brought trouble to many, many other people and to themselves. Many of them themselves, if not most, experience some sort of abuse or neglect uh, or have mental illness that plagues their life. If you haven't picked up on who I'm talking about uh, yet, I'm talking about those who are incarcerated, prisoners. There's over 5,000 men and women in our state correctional facilities, many more hundreds in prisons, county jails, youth detention center. And in the eyes of society, these people are seen as worthless. Many see them as beyond redemption, lost causes, not worth investing in, the ultimate outcasts of society. We lock them away, and the society says, put them in jail, lock them away, throw away the key. We don't want to have anything to do with it. That's society's view of criminals. But in the eyes of God. Now that's a whole different story. And wouldn't you agree with me this morning that the view that God has towards these people should be in the view that you and I as the redeemed people of God would also have towards these individuals. The true outcasts of society. So before we shine the spotlight on this ministry, uh, this ministry area, and before we tell you about the opportunity before us, I want us just to take a, a look at Matthew chapter 25 and see God's heart and the heart of His people for individuals like this. Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bibles. Now Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are called the Olivet Discourse. In the last days of Jesus' life, He took His disciples uh, out of the city at night, and they went to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples were asking Him questions about the final judgment and when the kingdom of God that they had anticipated, when Jesus would come as King, 
and what that would be like, and when Jesus would take his throne, and what was to come before that. And so there's a series of stories and parables and things, and Jesus describes some of the aspects of that, and that's what we're in the middle of here in verse 31 of chapter 25. We're reading 31 through 40. So let's just start here with 31 through 34, a little introduction to the scene. But when the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, the Messiah, comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations, another way of saying is all the peoples of the earth will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the kingdom will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here's the scene. You and I will be there in this moment, right? And if we've put our faith in Christ, if we're among those who are blessed of the Father... Clearly an indication that they are righteous because of God's actions on their behalf, right? They have been made righteous by the blessing of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Those, that's how they're righteous. You and I will be there. We'll be a part of this scene and this conversation someday. You may have a deja vu moment when you're standing and think, I think I've had this conversation before. So he's inviting them to enter into the kingdom. Jesus is on the throne at the end of the age. So he says to the righteous, beginning in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now let's just think about the various things that Jesus lists that his righteous ones had done, and he says, You did this to me. I was in these situations. I was, and you saw and ministered to me. So he says, I was hungry and thirsty. Those are the core essentials just to be sustained in life, right? We can't live without food and water. And so there was a material need and you gave me sustenance. You gave me what I needed to survive. I was a stranger. That word means an outsider, one without a home. We think of the homeless Person. I was somebody who didn't have a place to belong. And what did you do? You invited me in. You gave me a place. I was naked, he says. Now, nakedness in the Scripture, most of the time, has a direct correlation to shame. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were discovered their nakedness, they hid in shame. And Noah was uncovered and full of shame. And so shame and nakedness go together. So let's, let's read it that way. You, I was full of shame, and you covered me with dignity. You clothed me. I was sick, and you came and suffered with me. You sat with me in my suffering. 
I didn't go it alone. You were there beside me in my suffering. And finally, I was in prison. I was cast out. I was put away. I was locked behind bars. And what did you do? You came to me. You came to be with me. That's remarkable. This description of the righteous and then... And the righteous having ministered to Jesus in this way, and that's what really kind of takes the righteous back, as you'll see in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? I mean, they're kind of astounded that Jesus said they did these things, which is another clear indication that these are not individuals who are doing these actions in order to win God's favor, right? Because if you're doing something deliberately to impress someone else or to win their favor, you're very conscious and aware of what you're doing. This is such a natural outflow of the life of the righteous. They're saying, Lord, when did we ever do this? And when did we ever see you, Jesus, in these conditions? And minister to you. We have no recollection of ever running into Jesus and seeing him in this way. Verse 40, this is key. This is what Jesus thinks. And the king, King Jesus, will answer and say to the righteous, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did these things to one of these brothers of mine, Even the least among them, even the most lacking in dignity among them, you did it unto me. What is astounding here is Jesus' identification, personal identification with the broken, the forsaken, the suffering, the forgotten, and the outcast. So much so that Jesus said, when you love, when you serve, when you act on behalf of the least, you are loving me. And that's what the righteous are noted for. We oftentimes think of loving God and loving people, others, as two sort of separate things, don't we? We think of worship and prayer and, you know, loving God as sort of this activity, these set of activities we do. And then we go out and we love other people. But Jesus said, you love me best, you worship me best by loving the least. And to the extent that you see the needs of the least... And that you care about their needs, right? You have to see the need before you can care about the need. So first to have the eyes to even see these people, right? Do we ever drive by the prison on 14th Street and actually see the people? To the extent that you see and then you care and then you act on behalf of the least, the broken, the forsaken. You are ministering to Jesus himself. You are loving Jesus. That's an astounding thing. This is what defines the righteous. It isn't what makes us righteous. 
It defines a mature righteous person. A mature righteous person is on mission with Jesus, loving and serving the least, seeing, caring, and acting on behalf of the forsaken and the outcast. So the ultimate evidence of our righteousness, of our relationship with God, of our maturity, is not how frequently we show up at church, how many verses we've memorized, the piety of our own life, our separation from evil in the world. No, the ultimate evidence, the ultimate evidence of our right standing with God, our understanding God's grace, is the extent we show mercy and kindness and serve sinners, misfits, and losers, people that are a lot like us. That's what Jesus is saying. And so it's only natural, right, that we as His church, His people, would be all about seeing, caring, and acting on behalf of the outcast, the forsaken. Those that society has written off matter to God and they matter to us. Therefore, we act and serve and love and share the love of Jesus with the prisoner. There are hundreds of us in this room this morning who are involved in ministry to the least. We celebrate that. That's the natural outflow of a redeemed life. Keep on doing it. But this morning we want to put a spotlight for just a little bit on the the number of people, more than 40 people, that actually continually go and serve and minister to prisoners. The jail, the youth detention center, at the state penitentiary. These are people that regularly serve and go to the prisoner. Follow Jesus into the prison where he already is. One man in this church exemplifies and has modeled this commitment to go to the prisoner more than any other person for more than 40 years. And I want you to hear a bit of his own personal testimony regarding his ministry. This is Byron Anderson. First of all, you know, the desire to uh, go into the prison was when I went by down 14th Street, I could see the prisoners walking around in there. That prison was made out of stones, 24 foot long, 12 by 12, and uh, steel bars and plates. I hated to be restricted myself, and I thought these guys were being restricted from from uh, being free, and and uh, I wondered how I'd ever get in there to, 
to talk with them. And then we went over to Brian in 1972, and Sam Barr, he was already going there. And so uh, uh, I just got joined in with him. I got started because uh, I had memorized quite a bit of the scripture, uh, like Romans chapter 12 and John chapter 1. Sam was uh, kind of a minister, and and all I had to bring is a, a verse and bring a message from that verse that was helpful to the to me and to them. We have a recording on a, a cassette tape that we can turn on and sing along with. It works works really good. And uh, then we have prayer and uh, regular service and then uh, message from the Word. I was always amazed because they were, seemed like they were awfully thankful that we were coming out. I don't know if it's just to see some strangers or somebody from the outside. Some of the men that are out in prison, they haven't got a long, a lot of time to do. And and when they get out, they, a lot of times they come back to Brian. I tell them to, hey, tap me on the shoulder and say hi, you know, so I recognize you. And uh, that's been quite unique. They always thank us for coming out. We need to have a life of purpose. And a life of purpose is is a life which is in greater pursuit than just for me. It's uh, for somebody else. The hard thing sometimes is to get out there because there's a lot of hurting people uh, wherever you go. And I don't care where you go. There's hurting people. And so there's a work to do. Well, I'm 79. And uh, I think I started when I was 33, but uh, it's been 40, 40 some years going into the prisons. I only missed one one time in 40 years. You don't get any rounds of applause or anything. You don't get paid for it, but uh, that's probably what makes it the greatest blessing. Well, my desire, of course, is to keep going to the prisons. And uh, I don't know, with this Parkinson's coming on, if I'm, I'm going to be able to, but I'm going to go as long as I can. So that's a desire of my heart, to minister the word where I'm at. And uh, I count it a real privilege to do God's work in those prisons. Church, <laughs> absolutely. You want to uh, find role models, pattern your life after. Someone like Brian, Byron, Byron, sitting right down here. We want to thank you again, brother, for all that you've done. Thank you.
We're going to have to edit that video now. He said he never gets applause. <laughs> well deserved. You know, Byron's not alone. There's more than 40 individuals, as I said, who regularly go into the facilities all over our city. I'd like to have the rest of you stand who are involved in prison ministry. If you just stand up, we can recognize you around the auditorium. <laughs> number of folks here. Thank you, back here. Next uh, Sunday, both hours, 9 and 1045, there'll be an open house where you can learn more about the variety of ministries into the prisons that there are in our community, and there's places for you to get involved, including in the project we're just going to announce now. But I would encourage you to stop by and ask questions and learn more about this population. Again, there's more than 5,000 individuals that are incarcerated in the, by the state. And on every year, almost uh, 20% of those people are released back into the community. 80% will be out in a matter of few years. So what happens there and how their life is changed there makes all the difference of where they go after they're out. And whether they end up back there or on a different path of life. This is a vital ministry to them and to our society. And the righteous step into it. We became aware a few years ago that uh, Prison Fellowship was coming into Nebraska, as they are in many, many states. Uh, Prison Fellowship was started by Chuck Colson, who was incarcerated after the Watergate affair, and uh, he became a believer in prison and then started Prison Fellowship. And uh, they came to Nebraska, we were excited about that, some of our people began to volunteer there, and they had a program that began called the Prison Fellowship Academy, which is uh, a very special program that inmates can apply to be a part of. They have their own living quarters, they also have programming five days a week that helps them to prepare for life and get to know Jesus and work on marriage and anger and fathering and all of those kinds of things. And we were very excited about that, and it grew, the program grew in the prison, and they, but they didn't have a space that really design, at the prison for this kind of classroom work and small group work and instruction, a very limited space. And by the way, the state has very little money for programming, invests very little in programming to help inmates. And so there's no money and there's no space, and except the, the prison said, hey, there's an old cannery building here on the grounds. Uh, the cannery building was used back when the inmates grew vegetables and fruit and then canned those for their own eating, and it had been abandoned or mostly abandoned over the last number of years, and so it sits in the middle of the grounds of the state penitentiary, and they said, we have no money, but if you can fix this building up and renovate it, you can use this as ministry space. And anybody else that wants to do ministry can use this space. So I called Chan Mary, who uh, was the one who headed our Habitat for Humanity House project that came out of uh, our Staying Alive group. And now that group, after the Habitat House, they wanted to continue to be actively involved in doing projects around our community for others. And so they called themselves the Hope Builders. I called them and Chan jumped all over this opportunity and so they have been working over the last couple of months with 
contractors and engineers and architects to try to design the space and figure out what's needed. And of course, it's complicated by doing all this work behind the bars of the prison. It's hard just to get in there and, and get out of there. And so it's been quite, a, quite a, a challenge, but they've been up to it and excited about it. And so uh, we are excited to share this project and how we all together can be involved in this project. But before we give you any more details, I want you to learn just a little bit more about Prison Fellowship Academy and meet three of the inmates who are involved in this program right now. Take a look. I've been with Prison Fellowship Academy for about two and a half years at this point. My 37-year career was in corrections. I've worked with thousands of inmates over the years, and many of these guys simply don't know how to be good. They don't know how to change. And I see the gospel as transformational as part of that. And that's a big piece of prison fellowship is teaching these men that they are able to be good citizens. And we try to provide the tools and the environment and foster that kind of growth. Right now at the penitentiary, we have 42 guys that are in the academy. They've made a commitment to come to this academy and they spend five days a week learning uh, faith-based lessons uh, about uh, life decisions. So that's kind of what we do here. Come on in. Uh, I was 19 years old when I first came to prison. I've been here since uh, doing a life sentence. Well, this program has impacted me in uh, many ways. I've become vulnerable, you know, where I used to be more reserved and put up a wall between me and other people, to where I learned how to not be so standoffish and engage people, and that right there is one of the biggest changes. I've been in prison fellowship for about 16 months now, and it's done marvelous things in my life. It's helped me change my thinking process and my attitude. It's made a big change in my life. Figured out that I can deal with things without anger and uh, without violence. Uh, I learned a lot of new coping skills. Definitely strengthened me in my faith. I've had a, a few experiences that, you know, really helped me understand Christianity is, is real and where I need to really put my main focus on. They're being exposed to the Word on a daily basis. They're being challenged to understand how walking by faith can be and is a way of life. I think we have a tendency to look at this through only through the lens of justice and retribution and, and crime and punishment. And in the biblical sense, we understand that we are all broken and God does not love us better than he loves these inmates. He does not extend his grace to us more than he does to people in prison. We're simply providing the gospel, the good news of grace and forgiveness and redemption to an audience that doesn't hear it very often. And what they hear often is judgment and the message that they are not worth saving. And uh, they begin to believe that. We communicate to them the truth of God's word that they are all precious in the sight of God and they all are redeemable and valuable. And when they get that, they start to look at the world a little differently. 
been incarcerated for about four years now. Uh, I caused a lot of evil and hurt a lot of people and destroyed some lives on my way here. Uh, but I know now through this program that uh, I can make right by some of the wrongs I did. Um, with, like I said, with this program of Mike Kinney and uh, some one-on-ones with Mike Kinney, it's really helped me realize that uh, God doesn't hate me. He hates things I did, so I can finally stop hating myself, and that's slowly starting the process of forgiving myself. I'm starting to realize that by not forgiving myself, I'm rejecting Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm, I'm still pretty new in all the faith and everything else, but uh, I feel like I came a long ways, and uh, it's still kind of hard for me to talk about it because I know where I came from, but uh, I'm very grateful for this program and, and what God's done in my life. really amazing when you uh, get, get to meet those individuals. James, the one who is in there with a the life sentence, is pretty new to the faith, but uh, he shared uh, some really profound and rich uh, story of his own life and some about Scripture, that what it means to him, and we couldn't get that into a short video for this morning. And so on Wednesday or Thursday this week, we're going to send out an all-church email with a link to the expanded video with James. So some of you don't open your all-church emails. <laughs> this one will be worth opening, okay? You won't want to miss it. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about just this week and that God is doing around the country is some of the people that are in for a long period of time who have come to faith and are growing in their faith are actually going to seminary within the prison walls and becoming pastors and missionaries to the prison. And I think that's the course James is on. He may be there the rest of his life in his mission field serving Jesus. There are some states where that has been so powerful and effective they don't even need guards in some of the, 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 the dorms. God could raise up an army of these people to minister with us behind the walls of the prison. That is just awesome. This is Mike Kenny. You saw him on uh, the video. Again, I think something just to be marveled at is that a long career in corrections, trying to make the system work, and then in retirement, he goes and serves. And I think that's something we're celebrating. Thank you, Mike, You're for doing that. It's a privilege. Thank you. We have a couple of others like that, but most people, when they're out of that, don't ever want to go back. <laughs> Mike goes intentionally, faces back, follows Jesus right back to visit and be with prisoners. Mike, tell us just a little bit more, uh, what's an, something else you want us to know about the Prison Fellowship Academy? Uh, I want you to know that beside all the uh, operational uh, logistical support that comes, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that, that there's a, a spiritual struggle that goes on out there. We know from Ephesians we, we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. And, and uh, those powers of principalities uh, abide at the penitentiary, maybe more than other places, because there's some days when the, 
the discouragement and the bitterness and the hopelessness are almost palpable uh, and you feel it. So uh, in a way, it's like we set up camp in the enemy's backyard and he really doesn't like that at all. And uh, so uh, some days uh, you, you can almost feel that kind of oppression. So please, please uh, lift us up in intercessory prayer. Uh, uh, that's one thing everyone can do. So that's one thing I'd want you to know is please do that uh, because it makes a huge difference. I believe some days it makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what this new renovated space will mean for the academy and for other ministries. Well, it'll, it'll, uh, it really is about almost physical environment. Uh, the, the, the conditions we have there uh, are very, very hot in the summer. There's no air conditioning, and it's really hard to concentrate. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a classroom trying to learn and I've got sweat trickling down my face and the, the fans are blowing uh, a lot of ambient noise, it sounds like a helicopter going off. So we're, we're trying to conduct discussion and small group interactive growth kinds of conversations. And it's just, again, it's, it's just very difficult. What This will be a classroom that will be tantamount to what you'd have at the university or a modern high school. And just the, just the environment physically in the classroom will enhance learning. It'll go, it'll skyrocket, I'm sure, when, when we have that. That's great. Yeah. And then tell us what this means to these guys and the 40 others that are involved. What, what does a project like this and us being involved mean to them? Well, uh, what, what it means, they, are, they have become accustomed to being discarded and, and rejected, and they've burned bridges of relationships with many of their, their closest people, almost like concentric circles. <laughs> they've, you know, their families and close friends, and they've, they've, to have people they don't even know contribute to uh, a project like this, it's just kind of mind-blowing for them, and, and they, they almost can't imagine that you all would care enough about them after what they've done that you would provide this uh, in, on their behalf to, to minister to and to care about them. And so it's enormous. It's, it's really huge. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And it's exciting to meet these guys. And thank you, Mike, thank for you. what you're doing. Thanks, yep. Here's just a, a little bit more with Chan at the prison about the project and the space. Um, take a look. So right now, you know, we're really in the core of the inside of the penitentiary. We're walking from the old religious center where we're currently holding class and have always held class uh, during the academy. Uh, we're headed over to the cannery, which is really rough <laughs> and it really needs to be uh, renovated and that's kind of where you come in Chan and uh, the guys are very excited about it. The people at the penitentiary are excited about having this new space. Well I'm Chan Mary and my role in this project is to try to put together all the pieces and put together all the people that it's going to take to do this project. So this is the building where we're going to do the classroom. Yeah, this is it. After hearing what they wanted to do, build an area within the prison walls for ministry, 
I just couldn't believe it. I just, I couldn't pass up this opportunity to get involved in this. So here we are, right in the middle of the prison grounds in the old cannery building. Um, so what we're gonna have the opportunity to do is put a space about halfway through this building, um, all the way to the end there, and use it for this classroom and, and mentoring and all the other things that go along with uh, prison ministry. Biggest of all, the uh, state penitentiaries is actually put their blessing on this place and encouraged it. All we have to do is raise the money and build it. So the wall is about where this pipe is, just on the other side of that pipe. So we're putting a door there, a window there. Just Breen alone has over 40 people um, directly involved in prison ministry. You package that with a whole bunch of other churches in, in Lincoln, and you have hundreds of people that are doing prison ministry, and, and a lot of it's going on right here. This is not only an opportunity for prison fellowship to enhance their programs, but also an opportunity for churches to do ministry right inside the prison walls. So what we're doing here is not just putting up walls and having air conditioning and putting up a, a nice little addition to this building, but we're building a place where people can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And this is Berean's opportunity to jump into a citywide mission a mission that is fundamentally the best it could be. Sharing the love of Jesus with people and having them come to know Christ. So what better opportunity for Brian to jump in than this? So there's a whole group of us that we would say we are honored we are humbled. To be honest with you, we are a bit stunned at the opportunity that's been put before us. I just want you to get your head around this this morning. The state of Nebraska and the penitentiary has invited us to help make it possible to create a facility behind the walls in the heart of the prison dedicated to the studying of God's word, to the reaching, to the reaching of these prisoners with the gospel and discipling them to become like Jesus. The opportunities just almost unbelievable. Last week from 2 Corinthians 9, we talked about when you sow generously, you reap generously. Sometimes it isn't about money and stuff. Sometimes the bountiful harvest is about bigger opportunities to, again, be more generous. We talked about that last week. We have sought as a church to be very generous to our community, and we really feel like this is just God, blessing that and granting us an almost unimaginable opportunity to be part of something to impact our state and our community and those men in prison. I have a stack of letters that the prisoners have written to us. 
I picked out excerpts from four of them. So here is their letters, their message to us as a congregation. It's a real good feeling knowing that there are some really great Christians that care about our comfort and spiritual well-being enough to give unselfishly of their wealth. I'm very grateful to all of you, and my heart rejoices that God has given us here in Prison Fellowship a place to study because of your generosity. Another one says, The generosity I've shown is so heartfelt. We appreciate all you have done. The conditions these men have had to endure during their classes has been unbearable at times. Nonetheless, the dedication and sacrifice would shine through. The uncontrolled temperatures in the building, the heat that filled the air in the summer, along with the audio and video technicalities, would not keep these men away from learning and the need for the word of Christ Jesus. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Another one says, I give thanks to my God because you are not ashamed to stand, putting your faith to work for the lost and the rejected and the forgotten. I choose not to use words to show what your love gifts mean to me, but I will show you all if God is willing that you may know your efforts were not a waste. I will become the man that God desires me to be and help all who I cross paths with to do the same. One more, I am writing to thank you so very much for having the interest and compassion to not give up on us as people. It is so wonderful to know that people care and are willing to help out people in our position. Along with my faith and trust in God, it is yet another treasuring gift that you are blessing all of us with, and there is nothing but gratitude and love to convey to you one and all. This program is a start for us to begin or continue the changes and transformation for being better men, better fathers and husbands, and to contribute to society. In a time when it would be easy to give up on my situation, as so many have already written me off as a lost cause, but having a program and a place to work and study the Word of God and to be around positive, like-minded men is a true blessing in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When we set out to do the Habitat for Humanity project several years ago, Habitat had a notebook with fundraising ideas and a fundraising committee and all these ways to raise the money. And in those discussions, I said to the Habitat people, that won't be necessary. They said, well, yeah, you, you have to do it this way, and this is how it's done. I, I insisted that won't be necessary. All I have to do is present the need to the people. And they're very generous people, and they will meet the need. Habitat was blown away by the fact that all we did was ask. And in a few short weeks, the money was in. It was a wonderful experience for us as a congregation. Out of that came the Hope Builders. So Chan Mary's been leading that, partnered up with Boyd Batterman. There's a lot of people that have already done a lot of work. Engineers, architects, contractors, donating time, donating skill, donating materials. There's a lot of people involved in this. Our part together as a congregation is then to raise the necessary funds. What's needed for the project is 
$1,000. Now that's actually less than we needed for the Habitat house. You're talking about a facility that will be provided for these men to learn and study the Word of God for years and years and years to come, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prisoners. So it's an amazing opportunity to invest in the lives of so many men. Our mission statement says, to glorify God by seeking to present every person complete in Christ. Who would have possibly guessed when we penned those words that that would include a ministry center behind the walls of the penitentiary, seeking to present those men complete in Christ? It's just an extraordinary opportunity. The goal is $80,000. We'd like to have it by March 1st. There is a sense of urgency. There's a window here, and we want to get moving on this. So the fund is Hope Builders. If you turn in a check or an envelope or whatever, just put Hope Builders on it. We'll know that's for the prison fund. If you go to the website, just go to the giving tab. There's a pull-down menu. You'll see Hope Builders, and it's uh, very simple to do that. Now, I do think it's interesting. For the first time in many years, our year-end giving came up $129,000 short. I also think it's interesting that on the weekend when we're presenting this, we get a snowstorm. Can you feel the warfare in this? I suppose if we were going to be controlled by our fears, we would say we probably better hunker down. The $129,000 short is real. It is real. And the tendency would be we better hunker down till we get that figured out. But as you well know, we don't operate on the basis of fear. We operate on the basis of faith. We feel like God has called us to this. We've committed to this. We're very excited. And we just believe God's going to provide the necessary funds for the prison project and to get the budget straightened out. So here it is. What do you say? Won't you join us together for the glory of God and let's make this thing happen.